0: How am I managing it all and staying chill this back-to-school season? With Ollie Gummies. They're deliciously delightful supplements like Laser Focus, Goodbye Stress, and Blackberries in Sleep. Make it easier for me to find balance amidst all the calendar chaos. Head to OLLY.com to try for yourself. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
1: Hey everybody! It is uh, Fight Game Podcast Extra here on this Saturday morning. Uh, in a couple minutes, here I'm going to play an interview I did with Post Wrestling's John Pollock. We talked about you know the big stories though when we talked. Uh, the latest news about the CM Punk saga uh, had not yet come out, so uh, I'll actually talk a little bit about that right now. Supposedly, there's going to be a meeting between CM Punk and Chris Jericho and others who are there to help with the impartiality. Uh, Dave Melter and I talked about this on Wrestling Observer Radio on Friday. Why it's Jericho and Punk, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, And, you know, it's just the latest in the news of the CM Punk drama saga in which all roads seem to be headed toward him coming back presumably in a couple of months. I've been saying in the last couple of weeks that Tony Khan seems very confident he's putting his money where his mouth is as far as the big shows are concerned. He's got a lot of big shows to promote, and one would believe that punk is probably the main key to these shows and being successful in creating the interest that they once had uh last uh, actually fall of uh 2021 for everyone on the can't we all just get along bandwagon it does seem like damage was done and the damage was possibly so destructive that it could be more about whose ear punk has and whose trunk uh, whose trust punk has uh, in a battle of personalities in the in the locker room even uh, Tony Khan I imagine Tony Khan has to placate a lot of those personalities uh, I also think some people truly believe that the second Punk comes back the clock starts ticking until he does something else destructive uh, toward the company but we'll keep following it very closely. You can definitely bet on that. Fight Game Media Network has your back in, uh, in that capacity. I just want to make one more mention, which is the Mike and JD Show, the debut episode, formerly Brace for Impact, posted yesterday. <laughs> they had the most interesting gimmick I've maybe heard on a podcast, and I'm sure this has been done before, but they had somebody who claims to work for WWE, and they didn't want their voice out, so JD produced it with uh, some voice mix where you cannot tell uh, who's, whose voice it is. It reminded me of uh, the Black Scorpion, Ole Anderson. So check that show out. Very interesting. Uh, they have some interesting takes on this whole CM Punk situation as well, but... Want to support the new show? I think they've uh, tapped into some extra creativity here. And if you've heard JD and Mike on Brace for Impact, you know that uh, they're full of creativity. So I'm happy for them. All right. Now let's uh, play the interview that I did with John Pollock from Post Wrestling on Thursday. We're talking about All In. We're talking about Punk. We're talking about HBO Max becoming just Max. WWE and Endeavor. How does... MMA fit how does MMA fit in John's coverage he and ways coverage when it comes to uh MMA in 2023 whereas you know you go back 15 years and there was a pretty giant crossover with pro wrestling and MMA and we talk about his website the process (coughs) excuse me all the social media everything that they do so I think I think folks will like it check it out John Pollock let's go All right, I want to welcome John Pollock from Pro Post Wrestling. John, I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, I, you are a busy, busy man, and this website that you guys have uh, is, is tremendous. And you know, one of the things about this specific show that I like to do is, especially in talking to folks who you know are part of the media, who have their own content, who have their own website your when i'm trying to do things for fight game media one of the things that i do and this is a this is a tip for folks i go hmm what are john and way kind of doing here like how could like what's the example like if i'm kind of in a creative like hmm, is this the right thing i kind of look towards you guys so that's how much i look up to to what you guys are doing and i really appreciate you doing this thanks for coming on
0: oh well i i really appreciate the kind words it's uh it's very nice i i don't uh i don't uh, put myself out there as as a barometer for for anyone, but I appreciate it. You guys are doing a lot of great stuff, so uh, if you've drawn any inspiration, uh, m- much appreciated. Thank you.
1: So we'll we'll talk about a, a lot of stuff going on in wrestling, and I do want to come back a little bit to kind of how you and Wade do things on your website. We'll save that a little bit for the end. But man, you know, I, I was talking to Andrew Zarian the other day, and we had actually taken a week off in between shows and i said you know we took we 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 had we were going into wrestlemania and then we came out of wrestlemania and it was like the business like flipped on its head again and that you know that that's great for us because we're we're covering stuff and and it gives us tons of stuff to talk about to write about uh but aew uh because wwe is just this giant shadow for them they kind of come in sometimes with the news that people go, "eh, that's not that big of a deal." But I really think Tony Khan has got some big plans for this summer and fall, and I think he showed his cards a little bit with the Wembley Stadium show because that's a that he's going to have to find a lot of reason for people to buy tickets and and hitting that market. Uh, big picture AEW question, kind of to start: Do you have the same feeling that? Tony's got some stuff up his sleeve that he's really excited about based on these shows that are upcoming. I would say
0: so. I I feel like the Wembley Stadium was an example of an announcement that was met with a lot of a lot of interest because I think the fan base they really get engaged with things that are perceived as as big as historical and that's certainly one like on like the DNA of this entire company going back to all in that predated it and the early sellouts it was all about the idea of like making history with this company and I think the Wembley Stadium show uh, conveys that which is saying a lot you knew this UK announcement was coming and certainly that was going to engage the, the that market but You saw that mirrored over on this side, like it's like I have heard of people here in Canada that are making plans to travel over there. I'm certain that you've heard the same. It just it feels like a huge show because it's easily the most ambitious show AEW has undertaken thus far. And when you look at the landscape at this point, while WWE is going through this merger, there's the natural questions of what is the flow of talent going to be? Is there going to be a bit of a halt on that? And that is an inroads for for Tony to bring in new people, not that they necessarily need it, but it does (laughs) add that, that extra kind of intrigue of having a a few more balls in the air, so to speak, and doing things that you're not going to see WWE do, such as a a co-promoted event with with new Japan and putting together dream matches uh, of that sort with other companies. So, I think that AEW certainly has their work cut out for them, but you can look at this year that they have a lot of big plans. And I think that gets your audience excited when they're taking big risks. I think that's what you want to see from a number two company. The,
1: the CM Punk conversation uh, is, is the the elephant in the room here where you don't hear much from him, but you hear some from his friends. Well, except on Instagram. Uh, And, you know, it's one thing that AEW is really good at. And I, I would, you know, I don't know how much of this is strategy or just the talent, you know, promoting themselves, but they create lots of interest from the fan base on social media. Like there will be a little nugget of information and and it kind of just takes a, a life of its own. I mean, it's kind of how CM Punk debuted. And I I, I wonder, and I guess the question is, it seems like the punk, punk coming back is more so like just when does it happen than, than if it happens and they have this dynamite before forbidden door now that is going to be in Chicago. I think people are circling that date as a possibility and whether he's coming back or not on that date, that will be the focus and right is and that's
0: going to be the the competing narrative that AEW is fighting is that if you're bringing him back and you have a plan that's great and you lead people in that direction but if not and it's this holding pattern you are fighting this tide of your audience that as long as this guy is still on paper with your company that is going to be the expectation and when you have talent that are out there um vocally stating his intent that he wants to come back so it's 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 to me the the overarching cloud above AEW that if they can uh get through it like there are all these potentials with, with a punk but until everybody is on the same page it's it's all
1: these theoreticals you know dave and i or actually it was more dave than me but we had talked to tony the day before all of that stuff happened at at all out and dave specifically said you know you know your guys talk and they're kind of going to social media and you see all this sort of infighting and Tony I don't remember exactly what he said but my understanding was like he's like yeah like that creates interest and and Dave compared it to like Brett versus Sean and this is literally the day before all the chaos happens how much of what happens with the talent do you think is an overall strategy from the company saying like this is how we can outdrive inch cuz WWE doesn't do any of this their talent doesn't do really anything on social media that's of interest like how do you think this is like a a strategy from Tony or do you think this is just because these wrestlers have a little bit more freedom they're they're, they're not locked into these like weird uh agreements to not say anything or to stay in character or whatever like do you think there's a little bit of both or, or is this like a doctrine like hey this is how we create interest here I think it's I think it's one of those things where
0: is, is it Tony Khan sitting down with your performers and and stating, you know, you guys should should take this to social media and you go this way, you go this way. I I think I I would not think that it is as that involved. I think it is more more of like an unspoken thing where, you know, you always hear Dana White that states, you know, we never tell our fighters what to say. <laughs> yeah. But you can also take away the value that fighters get when That kind of attention is put on them, and Colby Covington's a perfect example of this flip in his career, and look how it's gone. Did Dana White need to sit down with Colby and tell him you need to develop a personality and you should go in this right-wing direction? No, but it's kind of understanding that, you know, if I'm creating drama, this might transfer to television. It also might blow up in our face, which we have seen plenty of examples of where you kind of have this— I think it really peaked like last last summer and of course going into all out where it just seemed to be a chaos, even if it's a small percentage of of the locker room that's engaged in all of this. And it's, yeah, certainly in in pro wrestling, you want to have simulated conflict that can be translated into real business. But I think we have seen the the inverted effect of that is that how far until the simulated conflict, bleeds into real conflict among these performers and this was sort of the the dna of, of memphis of you know the going into issues that were steeped in reality that you didn't have to convince your audience was real because they they knew it to be real or at least felt it and in in this current society you it's not just going into a television studio every saturday and then you draw monday night at, at the mid-south coliseum it's 24 7 it's on your phone and it's and you have an audience that is going to be interpreting it all these different ways. And suddenly um you you can have real conflicts with people. So it's 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 a double-edged sword in in that there's plenty that you can glean from it, but also I think like there's a lot of, of detriments that, that come with it when right. it suddenly like seeps into your locker room and suddenly like, are we working or or is this crossing lines? And we've seen plenty of examples.
1: The NBA and this is, we'll, we'll, we'll I'll use this uh, to compare to an example, and and we'll get back to pro listening, But the NBA is maybe one of the most forward sports when it came to social media, Twitter and YouTube, like they are very friendly to content creators in that way, and they're a younger, they're like a they're, they're a lot of their really good players are, are are younger, so they kind of grew up with this social media stuff. So you see a lot of their. Uh, a lot of that stuff spill on to Twitter. Uh, Kevin Durant historically is is very passionate to defend himself, you know, uh, or defend basketball uh, on Twitter. They also lots of the players now have podcasts. So there's this ecosystem in the NBA where the players voice and all that. And I think in some instances, it's it's made them a little bit more relatable. You feel like, you know, maybe one or two degrees away from the real person. But on the other end, you know, the ratings are down from from what they were, you know, just five or six years ago. And some people think that maybe they're a little bit too available. Maybe maybe having Kevin Durant in a Twitter reply back and forth is not the best for the stardom or whatever. And so they, there was this um, Spencer Dinwiddie and Kyle Kuzma, like, had this back and forth that was on uh, an interview, then it was on Twitter. And so that was sort of the news of the day outside of the playoffs the other day. And I thought, you know... If if I was making $20 million a year, would I really want to spill business on Twitter? But at the same time, they're human, so I get it. And I think that may be kind of what happens in, in the wrestling thing is, you know, some guys do it very strategically. Dax has a podcast. He uses that to kind of put his stuff out there. But in other instances, it's like, man, you just got this phone and you just have to open one app and you can respond and get your word out. And it's so appetizing to do so. But I think in the long run, maybe it's not the greatest when it comes to exposure, because it's just uh, I I feel like I see too much of this happen on Twitter. And I should only be really worried about what's happening on television. Yeah, it's it's not a case
0: where in you know with 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 so much uh, available options at at your fingertips the the accessibility ha- has never been greater in terms of that that access and again it goes back to like the positives and negatives i don't think we can dial things back 15 years to w- where things were pre social media it's sort of how you best strategize your your marketing like which is what this is i've seen so many examples of wrestlers fighters perfect example is ronda rousey who was coming up in strike force and she was craving media attention and going out and she was like i remember interviewing her in in strike force and here was someone that was just pounding the pavement for women's mma and for strike force and going into that liz Carmouche fight in the ufc and progressively we saw her star get bigger and bigger and social media became the bane of her existence and we have all these examples of Fighters and wrestlers that have reached a level and like i just i hear so much about like the toxic level that they undergo and i, I can't fathom that amount that they get that have x to, x time multiples more attention than you and i are ever going to receive and why you subject yourself to that and i think it, the other side of the coin is that a lot of these people are natural performers and it is the attention that is very intoxicating yeah and They're not just like, think about these wrestlers that start podcasts like, yeah, it's is it bumping in the ring every night? No, but it's like a commitment. If you're (laughs) setting aside (laughs) two hours to talk more about wrestling, that probably consumes you like there is a certain level of, you know, intoxication that comes with people caring about what you have to say, being the Twitter subject of the day whether it is good or bad and it it comes with plenty of it, but I think like ultimately there there's that where a lot of performers don't want to cut the cord with social media because they have that attention. It is rather um, they'll take even the negative attention that comes with the positive as well. I mean, you have how many wrestlers that they finish their matches and where are they running to it's to Twitter to look at their reactions. Like that does exist. And it's not all that foreign when you are a a wrestler, you're trying to get over in front of a, of an arena full of non wrestlers. And that extends to online. And you're going to put yourself into the, into the water with sharks where you are going. It's like running into traffic, Garrett. Like you are, you are going to get hit with, with, with a vehicle (laughs) when you go onto Twitter. And if you're just looking for positive validation, it's not the place to go. No, Um, absolutely not. And it weighs on these people a lot. And it's, um, I just, I can't imagine like the, the daily grind, especially if some of these female performers and what they speak of what they have to endure. um, It's, I mean, it's, it's got to be detrimental to like your mental health and such, but it's one that like how many wrestlers leave Twitter? It's few, some have, but very few do.
1: NFL Sunday ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. how have you decided to use twitter so that you know you can sort of balance that negative with the positive because i know for me i just decided okay if i sense that any of this is in bad faith i'm just going to immediately block like but if it's actually good feedback even if it's negative feedback i don't mind the dialogue cuz it's obviously someone who's a listener or who's found me somewhere and uh you know i i i don't mind doing that but you know, the second something goes wrong and and Dave and I did a, did a podcast um, with Bruce Mitchell, which is kind of like infamous now. And the feedback that we got on that show was really negative, like just so terrible. And I was actually in Arizona. I think it was my son. I don't know if it was maybe my, something to do with my son and he, cause he went to the U of a. uh, Mm -hmm. And I was just like, Half of one of those days, I was just way out of it. And I was like, gosh, why am I so out of it? And it was because every time I opened my phone, there was like something negative. And I didn't know any of these people. So it shouldn't have mattered at all. But it still affected me. So I had to sort of learn from that experience and go, okay, any of this stuff that comes in bad faith, I just push it aside, block. It doesn't matter. And it really just matters, you know, of the people who who are actually giving feedback. Like, how do you balance that stuff? Like for me, it's,
0: it's something where I I don't put a whole lot into like Twitter, I very much look at it as something that is necessary to have. And it's like great to to push out your your work. But I think if you're looking at it as a tool to grow your profile, like it's like you have to put a lot of time into it. And you're going to get um, a lot of pushback on there, I feel and like, listen, I'm not the biggest personality, like, in this space by any long shot. And, uh, like, part of it is, like, I I look at my direct outlets as uh, the shows I do with Way and the writing that I do. And if it's going to be, like, a, a complicated topic, I'm not throwing that out there on, on Twitter. I just don't think I can have that same uh, 10, 12-minute conversation with Way about a complex topic um, in a, in a Twitter thread. Right. And just... That I, I just don't think like that's the outlet for me. Now it might be for other people that it, it does work. I think it's going to vary across the person. But I, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't look up my my name. I don't look for feedback, like good or bad. I don't really like none of that is going to change my opinion of my work. I know when I have a great show. I know when I have a terrible show. I don't need to be told <laughs> it either. And I. I do think, though, there is a a perfectly healthy discussion to have about legitimate constructive criticism that should not just be painted as, oh, haters, or you're just – like, you can have a very good faith constructive um, critique of anyone's work, but when it gets lumped into everything else that's just name-calling or done in bad faith – it's very easy for you to dismiss all negative criticism. And I think that can be detrimental to yourself yeah. as well. You always need to be able to grow. And some of the best learning experiences for, for me personally have been failures that I've had that have been led to people I trust that have had that ability to convey it to me. And I would never want to just dismiss that and think I have all the answers and that I, I have no area for growth like i think the idea that you've got it all figured out and no <laughs> one can tell me anything you're you're going to find that you're you're done learning and that's that to me is a scarier proposition
1: and would you know let, let's uh, subtract some years on, on both of our lives there that comes from your experience cuz you know when we're in our 20s or mid 20s or whatever Like that mentality may not actually be there as it is in how you explained it. Right. Like that comes with experience that comes with learning and going like, oh, wow, I thought I knew a lot, but I really, you know, I really am just in the beginning stages of what I could possibly know. Like you you get that with, you know, the reps and the experience, right? That's, that's
0: it. And like i can't say i've i've ever been on the receiving end of like being the uh the dreaded twitter subject of the day or or something like that but like i wonder if you are a a 23-year-old and suddenly you're in this space and suddenly you you put out some opinion that is just, quote, t- tweeted to hell. And <laughs> as a 23-year-old, are you more equipped for that? Because your entire life has been consumed. Like you have probably been on Twitter since you were 11, 12 years old. You yes. and I, we at least have the comparison point of a pre- social media world where that be before Twitter, before Facebook, uh, pre MySpace, like we can at least remember that time uh, where you didn't necessarily get that automatic uh, feedback or have to go through that. I'm sure it can be uh, frightening to some people. I just look at it as though like I put my work out there and then it's for people to debate. And I've I've put out my thoughts. and It's like I'm no longer part of the argument. It's for others to disagree agree ignore uh, pass around but it's sort of like i i put it out there and then i kind of walk away from it and maybe that's the best way to do it it's not always going to make you like the, the most well-known person out there but i'm okay with that
1: yeah no i i i, ver- I think we're we very much see it in, in the same way and you know i work for a social media company technically so uh I, i've been in this space for quite a while and It is a it's a crazy space. Uh, I want to. I'll come back to some of this stuff in a second. But you know, we were talking about the AEW thing, and just on Wednesday, David Zaslav had his presentation. HBO Max is uh, combining with Discovery, though I think Discovery Plus still will still have its own app. They're creating this super app to compete Mm -hmm. with Netflix and Disney Plus, just called Max, and with this. All in show. Some people are kind of putting it together that oh, it'd kind of be interesting if AEW did some sort of live stream on Max. You know, uh, HBO Max was a little bit more prestige, and now maybe you're making Max uh, a little bit less prestige. So maybe wrestling fits. Like people are trying to put those things together. Uh, What do you? What do you? What do you think about the idea that Tony hasn't announced that this show? Is going to be on pay per view. It feels like he's leaving some things open for possible other business deals that may be announced later. Uh, but did, did you do you have thoughts about you know what Max could could do with AEW?
0: Well, I think it's it's been the natural question ever since AEW launched Dynamite was having a more like like being part of a of a big streaming deal for for their rights. I mean, uh, Bleacher Report is. You know, it's 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 a fine method. Um, we up up here in Canada, just for context, like we don't have access to uh, Bleacher Report or to uh, HBO Max or the the updated form now. So it's it's a, it's a bit different with the uh, the rights and such. But I think like a streaming deal was only natural that you would look at all of these properties that warner brothers discovery has and to me one of the the biggest advantages i always look at whether it is boxing mma professional wrestling is that you have an audience for the most part that has grown up with it built into their mentality that the biggest events you pay money for and that's something that does not exist in traditional sports where you as long as you have a cable package or a television with rabbit ears you will get the big game you will get the playoffs and aew I think wisely stayed in in the pay per view game and have been able to have very I by their standards like very successful uh, pay per view numbers. So it it's very attractive to a streaming uh, platform, and I think UFC has sort of led the way with like their ability to grow ESPN plus and how big of a contributor UFC was going to be. I don't know if people expected that in 2019 beyond, you know, the big Conor McGregor fights, but they've been a big uh, builder of that platform. I wouldn't suggest AEW would have the same impact on a max, but I just think like there is uh, pro wrestling to me would, would be something that if I'm trying to grow um, a streaming platform, it's a nice piece of the pie to have an audience that I know four times a year are willing to spend $30, $40 $30, $40 on, on a big show. And I can't say that for, for too many other um, outlets that you have the,
1: the rights to. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I think I, I, I feel the same way. You know, I, I kind of follow this streaming world a little bit more closely these last couple of years that I did before. I think the whole thing is fascinating uh, and you know, what max becomes and and how AEW fits. I think it's a much better fit in what they described as why they removed the HBO branding. Because to me, the HBO branding is so valuable. Yep. But they saw it as a little bit of a detractor for a casual television fan. And so I thought that was weird. Like, wow. Like, someone someone is saying, you know what? HBO is not for me. And I look at HBO and I go, wow, you're going to get great TV. But there's an audience that says, not for me. And so you're trying to reach more of those people. And I wonder if that some of that not for me audience are wrestling fans. So the, yeah, that whole thing is in, is intriguing to me. On the on the front, I'm kind of curious because you're you're a big uh, basketball fan. Do you have any
0: like thoughts on like the NBA rights when they are cu- coming due in, in the next few years? Because I, I I just see that being like this this lo- like it is the big rights that are up for grabs. And when you hear the idea that NBC might be interested in getting back into the NBA game and games popping up on USA. And of course with, with Warner brothers discovery, like there are, there is trickle down effect into professional wrestling. Like where do you see the NBA rights going and who the players are going to be?
1: It sounds like Warner brothers maybe wants a little bit less of the package. Like David Zaslav last year said oh you know maybe we don't need them but i think that i think they do need the nba i I, the the thing about the nba that's going to be interesting to me is how many irons do do they want in the fire because you have where they've been for the last many many years with tnt espn abc but there is nbc out there which historically was a great partner for them Mm -hmm. and uh you know, we we read the um the uh, gosh, I'm forgetting the the NBC guy. We read the book, D- the uh, Dick Ebersall book. Dick Ebersol, yeah, it was great, and he ex- he explained why they they lost it, right? And so you would think that you have you you know you want to in more fight because it just raises the value of what those rights become, and then you have the Amazon Primes, the Apple TVs, and networks like that, which they're not really worried about how much they spend because they have so much money that they can run these like crazy rich experiments to really find out what the data is. And so I, like the NBA is in great, is in a great place because they're going to have so many people wanting just the smallest chunk just to be a partner just for the future. Cause in 20 years, you know, if it's almost all about streaming and it's almost not at all about cable, And your Apple or Amazon, you got that one foot in the door, and you've already proven to them that you could help them grow their product. Like that's like a great place to be. So that's the piece more. Like I would love to see them back on NBC for big games, but you're also you can't add more games. The NBA already has probably too many games, and you have this issue with the players uh, and the teams. Maybe the teams more than the players pulling the players out of big games. So that I think they have to fix that part as well because if you're NBC and you go okay we're gonna get one game a week and we're gonna put it in prime time and it's gonna be Sunday night or whatever it's gonna be maybe Mm -hmm. it's not Sunday night during football season but you're like we want these marquee games we're gonna pay you for them but if every time the Lakers play the Warriors one of Steph and LeBron is not playing like that's a problem right and so that's a problem the NBA has to fix and I think this new collective bargaining agreement that's come out, they're trying to fix it with they're putting uh, for, for all NBA kind of things and scoring there. Like you have to play a certain amount of games. I don't know if that's really going to change what's going on now, but you know, it, the whole, yeah, that whole thing is going to be fascinating when it comes to NBA rights fees and, and stuff, because they they, it's like they have too many people who want to be in business with them. than they have the business for, that's right. Yeah, and it, it kind of become like do do you go kind of the
0: NFL model that if if this is uh if you're playing roulette and just spreading the chips out onto as many of the outlets as possible and you know if you like where is an apple going to be in 10 years? Well, I can guarantee you Apple's going to be around in 10 years. <laughs> so yeah. that's a it's like a pretty safe bet. What is Amazon going to grow into? Pretty sure Amazon's going to be around in 10 years and you know, your your cable outlets like is it what is a tnt going to look like in 10 years that's that's less of a, a clear picture but i think you, you spread it out like they to me are where all of these companies as they're going into these talks with wwe talks with AEW. like that has to be looming over them as well i i cannot fathom warner brothers discovery walking away completely from the nba reduced schedule sure but not um just all in like a network without the nba i mean that is a massive massive change at tnt
1: yeah. And then, you know, my favorite rumor out of all the rumors is that Comcast and Warner Brothers Discovery somehow merged together. Yeah. And then you got WWE <laughs> and, and, and AEW kind of uh, on the same company there, which, which would be really weird. But OK, Um you mentioned WWE earlier and you also mentioned UFC. And I'm glad you did because I kind of wanted to talk about that whole thing uh WWE and Endeavor UFC they're they have the super company do you ever see WWE and UFC using the combination of the two sports in ways in marketing ways and advertising ways uh that w- we would never see that happen today because A, they're competitors but B Dana White has always said you know we can't do stuff with WWE because then people would think that we're, you know, we're not legitimate and we, and we never want that to happen. But now that you're this one company, can, can you see them actually doing stuff together at some point? I, th- I think it all comes down to what, what extent it
0: will be. Will there be cross promotion? I, I can't fathom There would not be. I mean, it only makes sense that you would want to be exploring opportunities when, like for instance, when whenever this Conor McGregor Michael Chandler fight is is announced and can take place, like that that would seem to be like an opportunity. Do you have a Conor McGregor show up on Raw as a guest? Uh, stuff like that. Uh, wrestlers in the crowd at UFC events promoting. You know when it's when it's time for WrestleMania season, having uh, spots here and there. I'd, I I I would fathom that on the WWE side, I think they would be more than willing to embrace any ideas that are and the fighters that would probably get a kick out of doing wwe stuff up to and including a match for the right guy the right opportunity for the right show the other way around i think we all know that like dana white does not have this great affinity for professional wrestling i think uh Publicly, he has always had a lot of respect for Vince McMahon. He is one person that he has never knocked, even though Vince McMahon has given him plenty of ammunition um, to be on on the receiving end of a Dana White rant that he, he has never delivered. But I don't think he wants to be mixing the two worlds. He like this was a guy that came up, and it was not. It was the Fertitas that were studying the WWE business and Dana White. Like his tunnel vision was Tuesday Night Fights. Like that was yeah. what he wanted. And it, it turned out to be great that they got the reality show, but that like Dana's DNA is boxing. So, um, I, I don't think he wants to be mixing the worlds as much. I kind of look at it. I, I think the fan base is, is sort of, I know that everyone is looking at, is this going to, uh, disrupt the integrity of the UFC and the perception? I think we're kind of past that. I think people know the differences between the two. I feel that seems, way too. Yeah. I, I can see the, the hesitancy when you're coming off the this James Krause uh, scandal and everything involved with it of um, marrying the two worlds. But I think that we're talking about a much more sophisticated audience than 20 years ago, that people understand the differences and what this is as a merger and that you are going to have opportunities uh, going back and forth. Like a, there's not too many people on the WWE roster that you would even look at um, of crossing over with one exception being like a Gable Stevenson who is, Pretty much stated he eventually wants to do MMA, but there's going to be very, very few of those examples. But the other way around, um, there's I, I think there's a lot for UFC to gain just from the the audience that WWE attracts and
1: and wanting to have more of a cross uh, pollination of fan bases. What about when it comes to you know, we we're just talking about the NBA, the television rights? Could could you see something down the line where hey, ESPN if you if you still want the UFC and and you want it at this price, well, we also have some WWE stuff here that you know we would love to have on your network as well. Uh, could you see them combining, you know, rights in that way? To uh, you know, for WWE, I don't know if ESPN works for them necessarily these days. Like like maybe it may have worked in the past, just because you know there's so many things going on with ESPN uh, uh, when it comes to what they're Cause they have, they have so many different licenses and packages, but I feel like, you know, ESPN is still the, the biggest dog in town when it comes to sports and having WWE on ESPN would be some sort of validation for them big time. But could you see them pairing up like rights? Like, Hey, we kind of want all of this stuff to be in the same place, or is it just better to have as many, you know, have as many partners as, as possible across the one company? I think you'd have to look at what is the viability of
0: Peacock long-term. Like, it has certainly grown over this past year. And if you are WWE, like, I am certain that, that Peacock is going to want to re- retain these rights. Like, WWE is, is a driver for them on, on Peacock. And are you looking at being, you know, one of one of the, the big fish on Peacock that can be credited with, with that growth? Versus 10 years from now, like, when when we have the the solidified streaming pillars is peacock going to be one of them i think espn plus you can pretty much guarantee it's it's going to last through the long haul with your netflix your amazon i think for for sports i think espn plus is going to be solidified peacock is more of a question mark and there's no doubt to me that wwe would would gain a lot more visibility for its biggest shows on an espn plus It also then opens up the door of ESPN plus directly following the UFC model and what friction you could create with your fan base. If you're going back to even just a WrestleMania that is, is priced um, as opposed to just part of your subscription. But I think at this point, when the people that are going to be in the room for these negotiations, I think it's only natural that you're going to have ESPN kicking the tires in a more meaningful way with WWE, when this is not all that. Uh, removed from when the UFC negotiations are are going to start, and like those UFC rights, I mean, whatever you are expecting a uh, WWE to get, uh, like UFC is like they have had a great relationship with ESPN. It has assisted both greatly, and and what is the open market
1: for for UFC rights? How do you view MMA today? There, there was, um, you know, I would say in the mid two thousands to late two thousands it felt to me that there was more interest from the pro wrestling fan base in MMA than there is today. Now that, that, that fan may sort of just be fans of of, of both now because of that time frame, but even, you know, I, I'll, I'll use Dave Meltzer for, for example, like I know that the second that they went to these like weekly shows every week, he just like was not able to catch up to every UFC show because there's so much more pro wrestling now on, than ever like where where's UFC in your priority not only as uh for your job but also just in your normal interest yeah it's I I think that the the crossover is very
0: low at at this point like we lived through an era where I thought it was a pretty healthy amount like it it justified dual coverage of both because we got a lot of like like it, it was just reflected at this point I I look at it like we are predominantly I would say 85 to 90% pro wrestling coverage to MMA. But the, the big UFC shows, I mean, there there is still that interest. And I think just given the, the nature of the respective industries, it forced audiences to pick where they're going to go because there is no way you can keep up with all of the product out there. And, and that has definitely hurt the secondary MMA promotions that we have seen. Like if you are just an MMA consumer, I I don't know what the amount of people are that are seeking Bellator and PFL (laughs) and one championship because UFC, if you're a fan like that has a ton of your concentration to just keep up with all of it. So for me, I mean, I watch all of the pay-per-views and we cover them on the site. And then we have, uh, we have coverage uh, with one of our reporters, Eric Marcotte that covers uh, all of the UFC events, but it is largely for the fight nights like i i will catch most of the, the main cards and i'm keeping up with it day to day on the news but it is uh not the time when when i was watching every single fight doing yeah. shows on every single show it's just impossible when you look at the pro wrestling um the, the amount of content out there and understanding what our audience predominantly is here for like there is um there's an audience for mma but it's nowhere i feel where it used to be and it'll be curious to see if we're having a different conversation two years from now with the synergies between the two or if this is sort of an understanding that these are separate audiences that the big the big events like you'll see a ton of like look at your timeline of mma fans and reporters that check in for wrestlemania and the rumble and conversely when there's a big big ufc fight like you'll like I will like speak to people in WWE and predominantly we'll, we'll talk about UFC fights and stuff like that. So I know there's a lot of fans like within like the actual industry, but, but the fans, I I think it's, it's largely like the big fights and the big uh, events that you see the, the, the crossover a couple times a year.
1: So audio is such a big part of the business today in, in, in what you guys do, what, what we do, what F4W does. If you had breaking news on something, you know, you had you had a story no one else had it, is your instinct to still write it and publish it first or is your instinct to go we need to get on the horn and talk about this and have this conversation about this thing that is coming out or you know, whatever news happens, like w- what is the what is the process these days when it comes to how you first want to reach your audience? It's a great question.
0: I typically would write the story first and then have the reaction to it after the fact. But it's it also depends what like how major of a story there is. Like I have understood like when there is something that is uh, the WWE UFC merger, uh, for instance, uh, just being the mo- the most recent one. Um, that was one where yeah we get our story up on the site. Uh, But then it's me and and Brandon Thurston uh, going live uh, just later that day, because when there's a story like that, it's like the audience, they are hungry for analysis. And that's hopefully where you can separate yourself that much like when, you know, a major sports story breaks, you're you have thousands of options out there between websites, podcasts, TV, you sort of are drawn to who do I want to hear from? And that's hopefully where then you make it as easiest as if they want to choose you, there's something for them to consume. So it's sort of like, um, you know, coverage on the site, but it is becoming more of a, you know, personality driven where you get like a a show up as, as quickly as you can. And I think for most now, like there was a time we were primarily just audio and I think now the pandemic sped this up, but just everybody, it's just natural that you're doing audio and video with everything. Because you have to go live, you have to live stream to YouTube to hit. That's those it. Fans yeah, that, that wasn't even as like in vogue uh, to a point where you know you and I can be on here and we're going live, and it's just immediate. And it, p- people want to want to hear uh, analysis, like they've got their own thoughts, and now they want to hear other
1: people. So, and and it is almost a, kind of a multitask now because the, the you you focus video first because you can go live, but then you can also download. That conversation and put it out as a podcast, and it's kind of weird to think about it because you and I are looking at each other. Now, the people who listen to this, Dave, on is not Sat- looking at us by the way, <laughs> well, those yeah, that are on yeah, video right now. Our background, uh, but but the, but the people who listen to this on Saturday, they have you know they have no idea what I'm seeing with your wrestling shirt collection, with your Bret Hart poster, the 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 wrestling with shadows, um, and so I have to think we have to think about. The audio listeners, as well as the video listeners, even though we are seeing each other on video, that's kind of a weird thing. And I don't think uh, I don't. I, I wonder if whatever classes are being taught about, you know, video hosting or whatever. Like I sort of think about it as, yeah, in the back of my mind there are listeners, but in the front of my mind I'm looking at you, so I'm thinking of, of the of the video perspective of it. But that's a, another piece of it that is kind of weird when when you do a show like this yeah it's it's something I think that
0: people uh, keep in mind. Um I have at least you know in my in my prior job when I was with the Fight Network, it was sort of the same where I, it's like I had this whole podcast stuff that I was doing, but I was also an on air host a, yes. as well. And I certainly noticed like differences just in terms of how I would approach one versus the other. And this is sort of like a melding of the two. Like this to me does not feel as though i'm I'm doing like a stand up and it's where we're limited by uh, segment time, and I've got someone in my earpiece. For for instance, it's much more of to me a podcast with video attached to it. So, I think it's you can sometimes overthink things too much. Like at its core, I think feel I feel that people are ultimately engaging and listening to you but it's a different experience like if you're watching me versus if you're listening to me you might have a different interpretation like i as you're asking a question people might be looking at how i'm (laughs) reacting to your question and it's just
1: little things like that that give people a bit more insight to the process as well yeah and video is so much more of an active watch and i like the podcast for the mere fact that it's a little bit more of a passive kind of thing because i can do the dishes or i can you know, do something else while I'm listening to the audio. Now, some may say, "Well, you're not getting everything." Yeah, maybe I might miss a few things here and there. Sometimes I might rewind it, and did I hear that correctly? But yeah, it's it's a different experience, but it's it's a fascinating thing. And as this medium grows, I'm sure there's going to be other things that uh, that will come that will change the way that we do it. But for now, you know, you're right. It came right out of the pandemic where people just needed to do lot to do video and you know, I immediately think like, oh my gosh, like that. So I just started wearing hats like on these shows. Cause I'm like, do I got to fix my hair every time? <laughs> sometimes I'm going, sometimes I'm doing sh- video shows at 11 PM. And, and sometimes I'm doing them early, like with you. So that's another part of it, which is how do you be presentable? And, and so it, it's, it's a fun thing, but uh, yeah, I, I just love hearing about others process. So that, 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 that was a, that was really good. I want to, uh, we'll start to, to go home here. But I wanted to show this to at least to the people watching on video, because I had this conversation with Andrew Zarian, and we talked about how live audio wrestling was kind of ahead of its time when it came to on-demand shows. Oh, yeah. uh, like, if, I don't know. I mean, if you can go back to that to that time frame, like, do you see that as like, wow we were really ahead of, uh, of the game and kind of um, where the, the whole thing was kind of going, you know, a few years later, like, I feel like you guys did such a great job of, of creating the momentum of of where we got to, uh, you know, in the two thousands and the 2010s and such for, for live audio wrestling, just for for people
0: that are not familiar with the show, it launched in 1997 with a team that included uh, Donnie Abreu, uh, Jeff Merrick, Chris Tidwell, and then later, uh, Dan Lebransky and Jason Agnew coming on. And I didn't join the show until 2003. And I had discovered the show because it was on uh, the local sports station here in Toronto. And, like, as early as I can remember, they had the ability to download the show. So in 1999, like, this is pretty novel when it, when it comes to... Um, pro wrestling media that you could download and listen to on your real player or like Winamp or something yeah. um, like way before iTunes and such. So I thought they were like extremely ahead of the game. And then they also got involved with running several wrestlers websites, including Lance storm and Chris Benoit and dynamite kid and Perry Saturn. And what they were, were, like websites where there would be writing on it and results of whatever's going on in their careers. And then Jeff Merrick would also do a weekly audio update with said wrestler, which to me would be probably your first quote unquote wrestler podcast before such a thing existed. And and Lance has like kept up his sight all these years later, it started there. And with with the audio, like it went from Jeff Merrick to then working with Brian Alvarez as as well. So it's like his, his entire like 20 (laughs) plus years has
1: been like documented. I need to ask, I need to ask him about this. Uh, Maybe I'll have him on this show and and ask him about it. That's a fascinating story. Yeah. So it was like,
0: yeah, a ton of uh, foresight just in terms of, you no, know, and and I don't even know what the, like what the impetus was at the beginning. They worked with a company called Thin Data, so this this was very much in their wheelhouse, like in the early days of like you know the internet boom of the late '90s, uh, b- before kind of the crash. But it was just how do we get this show to as many people as possible that are not in Toronto and are not staying up? This show would come on at 1 a.m. Eastern Time, so like you think of like the audience, and there was quite an audience that would stay up till 3 a.m. listening to this show and make for a a really tired Monday morning. But for most people, most sane people, it would be going to the website and you could
1: listen to it the next day. No, like that whole story, that whole idea, you know, you have to have some really creative minds and, you know, to be kind of pioneers of that. You know, I also give a lot of credit to Brian Alvarez. He doesn't like to take the credit, but I was like, man, you know, to to really, really make your website mostly about audio Mm -hmm. back then Was uh, was a pivot, and it was it kind of laid the groundwork for. And he he wasn't the first to do it. People remember, uh, pro wrestling uh, insiders had had audio really heavy, and like you guys. But he like kind of turned it into this subscription thing, and then he created the community out of it, which was uh, which was really really smart. So yeah, I just I love the you know taking it back so people kind of understand to where we got to now because there was. A groundwork that was laid, and it was different places to where we are now. And I think there's a nice, uh, cons- there, there's a nice combination of written stuff, like you said. Your first instinct is still to write a story, and the audio. Um, and then you look at someone like Sean, who's created this Patreon mm-hmm. to really drive his his website as far as the breaking news stuff. So lots of lots of fantastic ideas, and and I love to see those pieces of of what the wrestling media is uh and and kind of you know what's going to be next you know who's going to have the next great idea that other people are going to go oh we can do that as well so that that piece is fascinating a couple more things before we get out of here because i I do want to let you go um if it this is a hypothetical dave Meltzer when he retires now this may never happen I doubt right? it. Yeah, it, it possibly will never happen that it that he retires because he's he's just uh, you know he really loves what he does. But if he did, how would that change the the wrestling media landscape? I, I think it would certainly.
0: I, I think people would really notice, like. Um... It's something that I would imagine for many people listening to this, I am sure many are readers of Dave's that have probably been reading him for decades at this point. And it's just something that would be, um, I think people would really um, appreciate how much goes into that, that weekly observer once it's gone and you don't have that on a, on a weekly basis, like the amount of information that he cultivates and somebody that is this constant presence and has been for, I would imagine the majority of people's uh, consumption of wrestling media. Um, there's always like evolutions and and changes and such that that undergo. And there's, I think a lot of great reporters that have been coming up that are covering all these wide ranges of ways to cover the industry that I always find fascinating of how people kind of develop like what What is my angle going to be and how am I going to differentiate myself? Like it's, it's a very competitive market when it comes to how many wrestling podcasts exist out there, how many wrestling sites exist and how you cultivate an audience for yourself and the amount of time that it's going to take to kind of get that, that imprint. And I always tell people to, when you're starting out, like ignore your numbers, like that should be, you should be just cherishing if four people are taking time out of their day (laughs) to listen to what you have to say when there's so many options, like don't be deterred by that. And it's natural that you do when you're putting all this work into it. And maybe you're getting 50 views on your, your YouTube video, like ignore numbers, because like, I'm able to make a full time living at this. And that was like, I've been doing this like as a full time operation since 2005 in different capacities. But I wouldn't, I would say it took like 15 years to like, kind of have a footprint of, of any sort of note, and maybe not even that much to some people now. So like, the time that you put into it is unbelievable. And I think Dave is like, probably the the shining example of that in terms of the, the length that he has been doing this for, and just the amount on a, on a weekly basis that's all consumed to this uh, 18 to 24 page document
1: every Friday morning you do have a footprint and i will tell you how big of a footprint uh, i'm sure maybe he has told you this but i remember uh when before you guys created post wrestling uh dave was like man i really wish we could hire john like that like he's and he doesn't like he not to say that he doesn't throw praise he likes a lot of people's work but to, for him to say, like, man, I really wish I could work with that guy. Like, he, like, we should have brought him on, or we, we. I wish there was a way that we could have all kind of come, whatever. Like, that's how how highly he thinks of your work. So, uh, so that that I think that's uh, that's a big that's a big thing right there. Well, I
0: I appreciate that. Like, I did like Dave. W- w- we talked around like that time and just sort of the ideas. But I, w- when things ended with the Fight Network, like Way and I, we we very much we we wanted to try this like it had been something that we had been pitching to ourselves for years at this point the idea of man can we do something on our own and this was sort of our push to really try this on our own and it would have been a big regret if we didn't and it was it, it was it was really cool to hear from a lot of people dur- during that time and kind of give the reassurance that it's okay we're, we're at least on on some people's radars but it mm-hmm. was uh certainly a very uh ambitious time uh in terms of just like what the next step was going to be and if if there would be sort of that that interest in uh, a site of ours on our own that people would be interested in that, that could sustain all
1: right let, let's uh end it here with uh the last question you on your website um you guys do non-wrestling stuff you know whether it's a new marvel movie or whether it's succession uh you know you and way like people think about well, wrestling is the product and to some extent it is, but really the, the product is, is you and way and your voice and your personality and your connection to your listeners. What if you were to recommend something non-wrestling that's you, that you're doing, that you're reading or you're listening to or, or whatever today, movie book, podcast album, like what is a recent recommendation from John Pollock that is not wrestling that you would say, Hey, Go read this, go listen to this, X, Y, Z. Okay, I just finished reading Jeff Perlman's latest
0: book, The Last Folk Hero on Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson. This is one of the best, forget sports biographies, one of the best biographies I have ever read. It has, I I have always had this belief, and you can appreciate this, Garrett, that you must watch a lot of sports documentaries. And it yes. seems that the the trend is, the bigger the subject, the more you have to be, sort of working with this person like the last (laughs) dance is not happening without michael jordan the you know tom brady Derek jeter and whenever you see some of these projects the immediate question is well is this uh, is the subject involved and that became the question here and for those that have not um first of all jeff perlman unbelievable reporter biographer So he was writing this book on Bo Jackson, he reached out to Bo Jackson, who politely declined to be involved in the book, and said, I understand what you're doing, you have my blessing to do this book, but I am not taking part in it. And some people would view that as a negative. I feel the complete opposite that for some of these projects, I would rather that the central figure not be involved. Now you're giving up something when it comes to direct access to the subject. But Jeff Perlman goes out. He did 700 interviews for this book. It is going to be the most comprehensive, unbiased view, good and bad of Bo Jackson, who is this mythical figure that was a dual sports star at, in his heyday and a, a kind of before my time, uh, but nonetheless, someone that had uh, an unbelievable uh, fame attached to him and sort of just went off into the sunset. And this book is is so well done and it look, it, it's just sort of what I look now for documentaries, biographies that I almost don't want to have that that overarching involvement of the prime subject, because I, I don't want any punches to be pulled. I don't want the it, like topics that are controversial ones that it's like... Okay, we're going to address it, but are we really going to dive into like these topics? Because I don't want to upset the subject, and then the project blows up. And it's kind of uh in- informed my thinking when it comes to a lot of these like bigger uh, sports biographies and documentaries. But it's
1: a fantastic book. That's awesome, and because that one is on my radar, I hadn't prioritized it, but now based off of your recommendation. Uh, do, do they have it in in an audible I, I would imagine it's got to be an audiobook as well i i don't know if it it, it probably is it's it's about a uh, you know 400 plus
0: pages so yeah. it's, it it'd be a long read but it's it's just so well done and some of the it, like i don't know if there's anyone that does a better research job than jeff Perlman when you're talking about this level of it, it, numbers of interviews and the things he uncovers and going to find high school yearbooks and speaking to childhood friends like this guy, there's no stone that is not uncovered um, of any person. It
1: seems that came into contact with Bo Jackson. I've read many of, of his books, the USFL book. That's a good one. The Showtime book about the Lakers is now the basis of this, this series on, on HBO and then uh also he did, he did
0: the i've read the three ring circus one but that, i have not one read as well. the, the showtime
1: yeah. one i watched yeah. the series
0: but did not but that one's certainly on my list of the i've not read all of his books the Bo Jackson one would be my number one
1: there's one on the uh mid 80s mets as well i believe that that i've read yeah he's done one on, on the cowboys i think he did one on uh
0: roger clemens yeah he, he's done a bunch and of course he wow. was the reporter um With The whole John Rocker story, which was massive, massive story in 99 in Sports Illustrated.
1: John Pollock, thank you a ton for doing this. uh, To be able to talk to you about your career and just about what's going down in in wrestling right now is great. And I'm sure my listeners will appreciate it. And I know the people who are chiming in on uh, on the chat and stuff really appreciate you as well. Uh, Is there anything, you know, we talked about Twitter a little bit earlier. Is there anything you would like to plug? Sure.
0: I mean, if if you are so inclined, uh, I am John Pollock on Twitter. And if you would like to uh, check out the site, we are at postwrestling.com and all of our bonus content, which essentially keeps the site running, is our Patreon, postwrestlingcafe.com. We do uh minimum two to three extra shows per week that also gives you access to our archive that goes back over five years at this point um the major show we do on there is kind of a, a retro look rewind away where we kind of analyze the the week in wrestling history a specific event uh but also other stuff that we have that, that Garrett mentioned like we've gone into uh f1 stuff marvel um other topics that uh, our audience uh has at least a patience for us to uh to dive into and uh always find like a link back to the primary industry that we cover. So Garrett, thanks a lot for having me on. It's always fun to chat with
1: you. All right. Thanks to John. I'm Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out. Spring?
0: Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbird styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage.